played havoc in every sphere of life. Leaders across the world are trying to find ways to make their businesses work better. One of the benefits of global supply chain is lowered cost for businesses and technology does help in this cause. I was reading the Gartner report on supply chain title Gartner predicts the future of supply chain technology in which Dwight Klapik, VP analyst says it's a good thing that supply chain technology gets the attention it deserves. In this free-flowing chat with Raghu Bala, founder and CEO of NetObjects, and Ramachandran Narsimamurthy, Vice President Product, we get to understand what is the role of blockchain, parametric contracts, and a quick peek into the future when 5G becomes a norm and edge on blockchain plays a huge blockbuster role. Welcome to Digital Navigator, a podcast channel by Raghu Bala where he along with his team and friends from the industry, discuss the future of technology, especially around blockchain, AI and IoT. So good morning, Raghu. Good evening, Ram. Uh, this looks like a Bangalore, California call. Uh, so very quickly, you know, when I was reading up on supply chain, I kind of realized that it's a huge industry. $37.4 billion is what is being predicted that you know uh, that it will touch by 2027 so i know my french wines are going to be french and swiss cheese are going to be swiss cheese uh, <laughs> so so th- this question is to ragu uh, if this industry is so huge yeah what what do you uh, think is the top 3 challenges uh, where supply chain is concerned so <clears throat> um in general, I'll, I'll answer it in two ways. One is there is a supply chain as it normally operates and then the supply chain during the COVID uh, era. So in the normal operations of supply chain, there are three things that have uh, usually uh, impact supply chain. One is cost. So anyone trying to uh, transport anything from point A to point B tends to want to keep the cost low relative to the price of the product because that just adds up for the overheads and other things that people have to pay. And so um, there's some competitive advantage in trying to keep the cost as low as possible. The second one is um, accuracy or uh, you know trying to keep within certain service level agreements and so on. So that means in the sense that if um, uh, party A wants to deliver something to party B and they say that it'll arrive at a certain date uh, and time, they want to be as close as possible to the date and time. And also the goods have to arrive at at the condition specified. So this becomes a real problem in certain types of goods. So for instance, if you are uh, transporting bananas and uh, you you put them in a very hot container or something like that, by the time it reaches, it could be either ripened or rotten or whatever. So, or if you have too much moisture in certain types of products, like if you have too much humidity in a container carrying uh, electronics, you could have them actually spoiled and not function because electronics, you know, humidity is the complete anti, uh, anti thesis of, uh, of good working electronics. So, so these are, you know, uh, this accuracy component covers a 
number of things. The third one is fraud. <clears throat> and fraud is uh, happens in a couple of ways. <clears throat> happens in the paperwork that governs um, paperwork that governs uh, shipping and so on. Um, because, uh, uh, for example, when you do international trade, there is letters of credit, bill of lading, and other things. And uh, uh, and my dad used to be in the banking field. It passed long time ago, but I used to hear all the stories where um, <clears throat> a certain percentage of international trade, actually, I think it's a close to about 6 7%, uh, goes bad. Uh, trade deals go south because uh, of some fraud. And the fraud is people modify the dates, the quantities, the prices, uh, whatever, the bunch of things that go on the paperwork. The second type of fraud is, I've heard of stories where, um, you know, people say they're going to ship one product and when they receive it, they receive a box of rocks or something, you know, really strange. And so they don't receive what they, they said they'll receive. And sometimes uh, that fraud is perpetrated by the sender, uh, seller and so on, who is not to be found after the paperwork is done. In some cases, the buyer and seller are okay, but in between there's some, you know, um, sort of bad actor who comes in, uh, opens the containers, removes the good product, puts in uh, something else. Or in some cases, they put in counterfeit products, which look like the real product, but even the buyer thinks they got the real product, and then down the road, they figure out that, oh boy, what I got was not real. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a very quick, funny story and then go on to the next question, which is, so I was, <laughs> uh, you know, some time ago I was living in New York City, a long time ago, and and, and uh, you can buy perfume in New York City, you know, in, uh, on the street, or you can go to a legitimate proper department store. So, it was early in my career, so I said, eh, I'll just buy it from the street. It looks a few bucks cheaper. <laughs> and, and this perfume, um, yeah, cologne or whatever, men's cologne, it, 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 uh, we started using it. I started using it, and, and for a day uh, or two, it was okay. And then after the third day, the whatever evaporated, and it was just a, a bottle full of just white alcohol. <laughs> So that's an example of a, of a counterfeit product, obviously. It just lasted a couple of days. So, so anyway, these are three problems that I, I typically see in the supply chain. That's, that's really a good uh, point that you've made. So, uh, Ram, I just wanted to kind of uh, then, you know, ask if uh, we truly are global, you know, when, when we look at uh, supply chain, and we say it's truly global when we hear companies, you know, getting their products uh, shipped from uh, labor, uh, cheap labor countries onto, you know, developed nations. How is blockchain uh, technology helping or are we ready? Is blockchain technology really ready for supply chain? The thing is that uh, the points that Raghu made and those things are very important uh, considerations that we need to look at. Uh, when we look at the global supply chains, because there are too many actors in between and things can go really bad. And uh, you will not know until very late in the cycle that you have been duped or there been some fraud that has happened, right? So, so given the supply chains are global, 
uh, wherein you might be getting a product in uh, say New York City, but then it would have the, for making the particular product, you would have gone through the whole world to make it available for you. So there are many chances uh, where things can go really bad. So given that uh, the challenges that uh, Raghu pointed out, I think there are uh, ways in which this can be handled using the blockchain. So what's a blockchain, right? Blockchain is basically an immutable distributed ledger uh, backed up by cryptography and it is a digital record keeping technology, right? It records transactions, um, which can be, you know, among multiple parties, just like what will happen in a supply chain and it's verifiable and it is tamper proof. And uh, this goes back to what uh, Raghu was talking about um, in terms of uh, you know, uh, accuracy related things and also fraud, uh, how it can be managed. Now, if I look at a supply chain, for instance, right? Supply chain uh, can be viewed as a series of uh, bilateral contracts, right? Contractual obligations between parties which are put together in a chain and we call it supply chain. Now, this chain works very well uh, when we put it together, but then as the time passes on, there are some uh, issues related to the information flow between these actors and also some trust, erosion of trust that happens um, through the supply chain. And because of which uh, there is going to be a cost that need to be added because of the delays, because people do not trust each other in terms of what information is being used and all that. Now, if I take these contracts that are being put together uh, in a supply chain, and if these can be put as a part of a block in a blockchain uh, using a, a permission ledger system, what happens is the information that is there in these uh, blocks uh, which are available to all the parties within the supply chain uh, makes things easier uh, for in terms of information flow and also the trust issues uh, can be minimized uh, because there seems to be uh, this idea that once you have the information uh, which is available to all the parties and also um, when, when people are looking at the information at the same time, and they know that the data in a blockchain is immutable and this data cannot be tampered. And that seems to be a trust that is increasing to the blockchain. And this becomes very important factor uh, for this, for the, you know, uh, in terms of how the supply chain uh, can work together. And uh, if you take an example, uh, let's say that today in a, in a, in a normal blockchain, uh, normal supply chain rather, uh, what happens is uh, when a supplier is ready to ship goods, right? Uh, there is, you can have a instant notification that can be received by say an inspection agency and also a shipping uh, agency at the same time. And uh, after uh, the information is uh, received by the information, uh, the inspection agency, uh, the bank can uh, you know, release uh, the payment uh, to the supplier immediately, right? And this can be done very quickly in a, a blockchain uh, situation rather than a supply chain, which is there currently where you have to raise invoices and there is a time lapse between uh, when the information from an inspection agency goes to the 
um, in uh, you know the bank and then bank releases the payment and these things can be actually done very quickly using smart contracts um, and and this enables uh, the time to process information within uh, uh, a supply chain very quickly uh, with the with the blockchain uh, technology so what i would suggest is that uh, blockchains are there ready to be tapped uh, to move to the next level uh, for the supply chains to use. And uh, it actually will reduce the overall cost and it will reduce the fraud uh, situations uh, that has being, you know, uh, that is uh, which Raghu alluded to. And it uh, actually improves, uh, improves the data integrity uh, of the information um, that is being, you know, shared across the supply chain. So one related question then to, you know, what you just spoke about uh, as, as a global brand, you know, I keep hearing uh, investments in different technologies, for example, ERP, you know, uh, and, and I'm, I'm not sure if ERP is dated at this point of time with blockchain coming in, but what do you see, what do you foresee as a challenge, uh, you know, in getting these uh, cool technology adoption within organizations like, a, you know, adoption of blockchain, for example, what are the challenges that you see, uh, you know, global brands facing? Uh, there are uh, quite a few challenges, but I think I'll focus on two of them. One is the data quality. The other one is access to data. So what happens in data quality is that uh, uh, data quality becomes very important uh, in terms of managing supply chains. And if you use a blockchain, um, for instance, and this becomes a very critical aspect because in blockchains, there is an immutability of data. Uh, that's what distinguishes the blockchain from any other technology. Now, invariably, most of the information in a supply chain are filled by humans, and humans tend to make mistakes. And what it means is that uh, when you have this data, the incorrect data um, on a blockchain, it has got a multiplier effect in a bad way because if you have a bad data because of the immutability of blockchain, everybody sees this bad information and then there's a multiplier effect uh, that happens. Uh, just like uh, what Raghu talked about, you know, shipping of bananas, um, uh, the kind of information that we need um, can be, you know, uh, solicited or accessed through IoT or edge devices rather than humans entering data um, uh, in, in the system. Say for instance, in terms of, uh, you know, how do we um, get information about the shipping of bananas? Uh, maybe there can be some sensors, there can be some edge computing devices that are placed on the container, which basically looks at the temperature. Uh, it looks at uh, all the details that are needed to make sure that the bananas are shipped very well. Uh, in, in the form that it will be useful for the consumer when he gets it. And that information can be automatically entered into the blockchain. Uh, we don't want uh, uh, humans to you know, uh, fudge this information or maybe not have the right information in the blockchain. So data quality uh, is very important across the blockchain. And we should uh, encourage companies to use technologies uh, edge computing technologies in whichever form uh, to allow uh, this data to be more automatic. 
that's one challenge. The second challenge uh, in, a, in a blockchain scenario um, is something to do with uh, data access. See, what happens is when you have all these um, companies sharing information, it is quite uh, interesting to note that this information, information of one company, uh, when it is shared with another company, there can be some inadvertently, you will be informing other companies, there can be a data leakage in terms of what is being done in company A, right? And that becomes very important um, uh, for a company A not to divulge that, right? And, and to make things worse, um, if this information goes to goes into the wrong hands, uh, what happens is uh, you might lose some uh, business continuity and you might lose business and all kinds of stuff. So that said, it's important uh, for us to understand that data access in a blockchain is very important. The first set of things that people would have to look at is what is the minimum data that they have to put on a blockchain? All companies in the particular supply chain will have to use the minimum data. And if there is some sensitive data that is there in the blockchain, what needs to happen is that we need to have an access control of data across the blockchain. And it is quite a challenge to do it across the firms. And these are two important things, uh, which I think is, uh, you know, has to be taken care uh, in terms of a challenge for technology adoption. In terms of ERP, I think ERP is there to stay. Uh, see, blockchain by itself is a very cool technology, but then it is not very uh, useful in terms of you know fast processing. Its storage and retrieval is very slow. So when you use the blockchain for Bitcoins, et cetera, I think we can deal with it, but then uh, it's very difficult uh, to manage the humongous data using a blockchain. Uh, so uh, ERP systems will be there. And what I foresee is that the ERP systems, uh, the transactions of the ERP system will continue, but some of the transactions with ERP throws will be taken into the blockchain. And, and this information across the, all the small firms will be used by the existing ERP solutions. And this information sharing will happen. The information flow between the firms can be through the blockchain. Uh, um, and and that will help in the overall uh, you know supply chain uh, details in terms of reducing cost etc. But ERP systems are not going away anytime soon. Um, it, they are here to stay. Uh, we might have to do some uh, interfacing between the ERP systems and the blockchain, and uh, maybe the new protocols need to be created uh, going forward. Very interesting you know, minimum data, quality of data. And, and good to know that, you know, whatever investments have already been done is not really going a waste and it could be integrated. Which brings me to the next point. Uh, Raghu, this question is for you. Uh, we, we speak, we, we heard Ram speak about, you know, the quality of data and ERP and erosion of trust. And, and, and Incidentally, I was reading, uh, you know, insurance companies moving more and more towards, uh, you know, parametric uh, contracts because of uh, what Ram talked about, you know, erosion of trust, you know, the quality of data, you know, what information is being shared. Can you, you know, uh, can you just walk us through, you know, what parametric contracts uh, uh, actually are? And if you have a use case, you know, in terms of how, uh, 
uh, technology has really helped execute a parametric uh, contract, it would be interesting to hear. So, you see, typically contracts uh, are written in pen and paper and the legal process governing any ecosystem has always been kept separate from the physical processes. So, for example, if I was a delivery company, there's delivery paperwork and the paperwork is mailed or faxed or emailed or something like that. And then the delivery happens in the real world, uh, which is the guy picks up your box from the from the sender and then delivers it to the to the uh, receiver. And so those two tend to go in parallel, but never sort of like integrated with one another. And so that lack of integration tends to cause certain gaps and those gaps can be exploited by those who have got some unscrupulous um, uh, you know goals so so what happens is um, with parametric contracts the physical processes are tied to the paperwork processes so i'll illustrate this by um, a couple of examples so let's say that in supply chain you want a particular package to be delivered at a particular time and that that is a delay now uh, so instead of uh, arriving at 10 o'clock in the morning the package arrives uh, the next day at 10 o'clock in the morning so you lost 24 hours so that might have downstream repercussions to you because you might be a manufacturer that needed this this particular part to arrive on time in order to complete a process so that you can send it to your retailer and your retailer now got the item late. And so now they are either uh, upset with you or suing you or asking you for some um, a refund or whatever it might be. So the repercussions could be quite um, broad whenever one party delays everyone in, down the supply chain gets uh, impacted. So now in parametric contracts, uh, in a regular contract, let's start there. The regular contract, when something is late, then you'll have to go and haggle with uh, the different um, <clears throat> parties to say, okay, this is this, this uh, you know, driver, you know, the, the truck broke down or something happened, that's why we were late and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and uh, then you've got to go through, usually they'll say, okay, talk to my legal and that's how you're going to resolve it. And the, re the resolution might take weeks before something happens. Now, if you use parametric contracts, Whenever there is some delays in the physical process, like the, the when the guy scans the package at the recipient to say, I delivered it, the system will immediately detect that it's been one day late and that there is a uh, discount of so many dollars that needs to be applied. And uh, so that the recipient, you know, maybe he paid a thousand dollars for shipment. Maybe now it's eight hundred dollars because the the logistics company will pay $200 in uh, sort of like a refund for being late. And you, there's no haggling, it's automatic, it happens immediately. So that will be an example in supply chain. Similar types of examples happen in other industries, like in, in insurance, for example. Uh, in America, there's an insurance company called Progressive. So Progressive, the way they track your insurance is based on how much you drive and how you drive. So if you're constantly speeding and things like that, it starts to rate your performance as a driver and your insurance rates would go up and uh, versus someone who's keeping within speed limits and so on. It also could rate based on how much you drive. Like someone who drives 15,000 miles a year might have a different uh, premium versus someone who drives 5,000 miles a year. 
because the risk of accident and all that might be lower, higher, or not. And which area you drive in also might matter. So now what happens is you're taking real-time IoT data, which is Internet of Things data, and merging it into blockchain, which where the parametric contracts are codified in the form of smart contracts resides, and marry the two in order to uh, uh, arrive at an outcome. So those are examples of how parametric contracts work. That's really interesting. Uh, so uh, we are in a, uh, you know unprecedented times with pandemic hitting practically every country. How do you think technologies like you know uh, blockchain, edge on blockchain, for example, is helping uh, organizations, especially in the supply chain? So the way I look at it is, we are we have come to a point where there are uh, three technologies that are going to converge uh, rapidly. Three, if not more, four, maybe even. So uh, one is IoT, one is AI, uh, one is blockchain, and then uh, also some improvements in communication like 5G and so on is also going to be part of the equation. <clears throat> so, so in the case of um, if I take edge computing, so edge computing basically means that there is a lot of intelligence in the last mile. So blockchain by itself, like, uh, you know, going back to what uh, Ram was talking about earlier, so about uh, the how pristine data is and so on. So blockchain by itself can, um, you know, prevent uh, uh, data from being fudged because it's immutable and so on. And that's after the data has reached blockchain. But while data is being transmitted from the edge to blockchain, it can be fudged if the transmission is um, um, compromised through some man in the middle attack and things like that. Um, so security in uh, this communication between edge and uh, cloud uh, where blockchain resides is very important. But one of the one of the things that naysayers of blockchain always um, uh, you know state about blockchain is it is um, slow and it requires confirmation from multiple nodes and things like that. And I think we are just talking about the first innings of blockchain, and then so what I'm going to talk about now is edge blockchain, which is I think maybe we'll see this in about two to three years down the road. So in the edge blockchain, what's going to happen is blockchain typically resides in the cloud. The nodes are in the cloud, and uh, there are big hunking servers which are used as nodes and so on. That's what's happening currently. And uh, if you talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, or any other uh, large blockchain network, it's usually in the cloud. Now, what I foresee happening is you're going to have a lot of blockchain nodes at the edge. And... Um, the type of work that the cloud blockchain nodes, which are a bit more beefier, what those nodes would perform uh, as functions might be different from what the edge blockchain nodes perform as functions. The edge blockchain nodes might be more uh, in the data acquisition uh, and, and so on, whereas the um, cloud blockchain nodes might be more in the um, consensus algorithms and uh, confirming transactions and, and things like that. So, so just from a high level, I, I see that, um, you know, I foresee a day where uh, just like in 5G, what's going to happen is 
in in 4G you have um, cell phone towers. I think I think it's every mile uh, it can do a coverage around a particular area. But I think in in 5G I think it has to be every few hundred meters in order to provide coverage. So there's going to be a very dense network, and I foresee that the dense network of 5G. Um, being coupled with the dense network of blockchain, I see. I really do see those two coming together, where um, where you're going to have these blockchain nodes at the edge, which are going to be collecting data and then and then um, um, sharing data with other edge nodes, and then the heavy nodes are going to do certain functions. The light nodes will be at the edge. I think that's going to be there, and I also think that I can already sort of like uh, forecast. I don't know whether this will come true, but I can foresee and forecast that even I can see a, a 5G uh, base station uh, mounted on a uh, FedEx or UPS truck, and uh, and that base station also carries. With it, a light blockchain node, and then uh, the handheld device uh, of a UPS driver when he delivers a package or something like that, um, or even it could be a UPS robot that delivers such a package, could link to that node via Bluetooth and something like that. Um, so the 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 uh, the last mile would would really. Uh, be very enhanced in terms of its ability to collect pristine data, and then uh, and then securely transmitting it to the uh, cloud blockchain, uh, where uh, uh, where it's validated and things like that. So I think that's what you're going to see with edge computing, um, a lot more horsepower at the edge, and and also Raspberry Pi started the movement with the AMD Cortex chips. At the edge, but that's moving very heavily with Nvidia and Intel spending a lot of effort in putting a lot of intelligence at the edge, and uh, that intelligence initially might be used for IoT and so on. Eventually, it'll be used for uh, machine learning and uh, computer vision and other functions at the edge, uh, which is where AI comes in. So, so these these are types of things we are we can foresee in the horizon uh, over the next uh, I'd say two to five years. Yes, as uh, Raghu said, uh, the IoT at the edge um, becomes very important for, you know, for many use cases um, that will help, uh, you know, the last mile, and the last mile uh, detail uh, will be the deciding factor in many cases, wherein uh, we need to have that, uh, you know, that that connectivity at that point and that information. Uh, which can be sent to the larger network and uh, it becomes part of a supply chain, uh, all the more useful uh, to make it happen uh, for the overall supply chain efficiency and stuff like that. Very interesting, very futuristic. No wonder Gartner has uh, actually covered net objects in the hype cycle. So that's, that's uh, I guess, a feather in the cap. Very interesting, gentlemen. Uh, super cha chatting with both of you. Uh, thank you so much for answering many questions about blockchain, about edge on blockchain, about parametric technologies. I'm sure people who listen to this podcast will definitely have more questions. So uh, I'm sure everybody can actually direct it to uh, 
me and i'm going to put my email id there so that you know uh, one could uh, ask more questions of this podcast uh, ragu just before i let you off i just uh, wanted to kind of revisit those uh, three challenges again so i mentioned at the beginning that there are two ways i'm going to answer the question so i'm going to answer the second question so so far i've covered um the three concerns that impact uh, supply chain cost accuracy and fraud uh, from a regular supply chain perspective but in covid times um the actually the supply chain has has uh, become very dysfunctional and it it's slowly getting back to normal but there's a period of time where um freights uh, from companies like fedex and ups and so on they were charging between 3 and 5 times the normal freights and this happened because first of all the number of ships the number of planes uh, moving cargo from point a to point b uh, were drastically reduced and so because of that uh, the cost of freight went up uh, significantly but that also had uh, has created a thought in the mind of uh, many companies on how to approach globalization so instead of doing uh, uh, offshoring they are doing nearshoring the reason being is if another pandemic hits and things like that they need to have a secondary um, location from which they can uh, ship goods and things like that so in the case of the us uh, there was a dependency on china and when china sort of shut down and uh, you know a lot of the shipments were uh, were cut off then the dependency had to go to somewhere else like mexico or things places like that and so and so this is one sort of like uh, uh, outcome uh, or a, a long term uh, change in plans that's happening around the world and we in fact are seeing some of this uh, playing out in the chip industry there's a global chip shortage right now and the global chip shortage is actually impacting a lot of uh, electric vehicle car makers and in fact uh, showing up in their quarterly results and a lot of them are citing that oh we couldn't uh, uh, you know ship as many cars because we are lacking certain chips and so so what is happening is um, that's because they are all dependent on chips coming from certain parts of the country and uh, either they are stuck in transit or uh, production was cut down shut down and so uh, you you know you need to have if one country is shut down then you need to have a capacity in other places to to produce and even the strategies of companies are also being changed uh, for example intel uh, which was in uh, outsourcing chip manufacturing um, recently just announced that they are getting back into chip manufacturing and a lot of wall street said you know why are you getting back into manufacturing you should go higher end in your uh, uh, product pipeline which is thinking and designing and so on and not getting back into manufacturing and i'm quite sure the reason why they're getting back into manufacturing is because uh, better control over the supply chain and instead of being um, dependent on third parties and uh, who you have no control over um, this way you have better control over your uh, supply chain so so this uh, covid um, a pandemic has changed how uh, from a strategy standpoint how companies are approaching um, various things um, so so it's important to note
very interesting thank you gentlemen uh, for you know walking us through uh, blockchain how does it kind of affect uh, supply chain you know what should global brands be looking out for from a technology challenge point of view uh, thank you so much once again and hope you have a good morning and a good evening as well Thank you.